Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. to Flop Culture, a podcast all about our favourite flops. I'm your host, Fanula. I hope you're well. I hope you enjoyed last week's solo episode on the Flop One Direction. Solo careers, much appreciate all the feedback on that one. Maybe some more solo episodes to come. Who knows? In the meantime, let's get into this week's news. Taylor Swift is in the news. When is she not? She's had a big week, big week at the Grammys, new album imminent, the tortured poets department, which I struggle to remember the name every time. Talked a little bit about both on the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash flop culture if you want to hear more about that. Today, I want to talk about what she's doing with her attorneys. She is threatening legal action against Jack Sweeney, a college student who has been tracking celebrity flights, more specifically private jet landings and takeoffs. And he's been doing that on social media for the last few years. He's been tracking Taylor, Elon Musk is another one, kind of generally celebrities, billionaires, famous people who are regularly using private jets. And this week, an attorney for Swift sent a cease and desist letter to Sweeney. He is a student at University of Central Florida sent it the end of last year, it's coming to light. The Washington Post is reporting on this. The letter, which Sweeney shared with the Post, says that his social media accounts cause, quote, direct and irreparable harm, as well as emotional and physical distress. It says that unless Sweeney stops the stalking, this starts the quote again, stops the stalking and harassing behaviour, the artist would have, quote, no choice but to pursue any and all legal remedies. Sweeney has come out and said that, you know, what he's intending to do is not for harm, that he believes in transparency and public information. Taylor Lorenz, former guest on the show, has come out in support of Sweeney, saying that this is journalism. All of this information around the flight is already public information. What Jack is doing is kind of distilling it down so that it's more digestible for the general public and so that people can understand what's going on like anyone can get this information through the federal aviation administration because of the private jets 
because of the signals they broadcast. You know what I mean? So he's just making the information more accessible by posting it on social media. And it's not so much... The reason why this has become a bit of a story and why it became a story in the first place wasn't so much that it was people were... I'm sure there were some people interested in tracking the movements of specific celebrities or whatever. That's not my business. I simply do not care about that. But what people were kind of most interested is another thing that Sweeney was doing was he posts estimates of the associated fuel use and greenhouse gas emissions of the flights. And the reason why this is relevant to Taylor is that there was a report in 2022 on celebrities with the biggest carbon footprints from flying, predominantly privately, and Taylor Swift came top of that list. Her reps responded to it at the time. They said, quote, Taylor's jet is loaned out regularly to other individuals. To attribute most or all of these trips to her is blatantly incorrect. But now Sweeney has come back and said, okay, so you gave that statement then, but now you're sending me a letter saying that it's causing Taylor harm, even though you've also said that it's not her taking the jets. I'll give the exact quote. The statements by her team directly contradict each other. The event is eerily similar to December 22 when Elon Musk tweeted he would take legal action against me. Sweeney has had to kind of move platforms and stuff because I think he was a banned off X, formerly known as Twitter, and then he moved to Threads. And I think he's back posting on X again, uh, but he is only allowed on X if he posts Elon's flight paths, but it has to be 24 hours after the fact that it happened. Anyway, be very interested to hear your thoughts on this. I obviously understand that I'm not naive to believe that with Taylor's current position and celebrity that she can't fly Ryanair. You know what I mean? I get it. I get it. There's a security issue. I do understand that. I do also believe that she loans out the jet to people. I suppose it is just... I don't disagree what Jack is doing either, though. On the other hand, I do believe it's journalism. I believe we're living in the midst of a climate crisis. The climate crisis isn't coming. It's happening right now. And I think it is important to highlight these things. And I think there are... I mean, other solutions. I know she's in the middle of a tour. She didn't have to go on that tour. I'm happy she's on the tour. I want to see her on the tour. This is full of contradictions. But I suppose it's just questioning whether celebrities have to make certain choices. Okay, yes, you have to fly private. Why are you flying private at all? She's someone who could never tour again and still release music and still make loads of money. Does she want to do that? I mean, seemingly... I don't know. Will she tour after the re-records are done and this new album? Maybe... This is the last she's going to do of it. I don't know. I think it's I think it's very interesting. I think it's interesting that she's kind of pushing back against this now and also taking the position of that it's causing... I mean, she does have a right to argue that there's a security issue from her perspective as well of people tracking these flights. But then it goes back to the case of this information is readily available because you're choosing to fly private. You know what I mean? I don't know. Please let me know your thoughts. I'd be really interested. It's at flockculture underscore pod on social media. And of course, you can get us via email. HelloFlockCulture at gmail.com. Speaking of that new album, I did want to talk about one track on the album that has intrigued me because some of the other tracks, the names are giving me the fear, girls, right? I'm not going to lie. But one track I was very interested in and I want to shed some light on with you is Clara Bow. So not a name that I was familiar with, but then I saw people kind of saying, oh my God, this Clara Bow connection, unreal, like very sad that she's also chosen to name a song after this. Who is Clara Bow? I hear you clambering to ask. Clara Bow was one of the biggest stars of the silent movie era. She kind of defined the 1920s flapper image uh, alongside the likes of Louise Brooks and Joan Crawford. She played 
famously played lots of emancipated, empowered, kind of free women in her films. And to this day, she would still be considered an icon of sexual freedom for women. But she also had a very tumultuous personal life, to say the least. Very difficult childhood growing up. Her mother suffered from mental illness, was institutionalised. Her father was abusive. She began kind of working from very young. She competed in a nationwide acting competition and then sought out more screen work in New York, eventually moved to Hollywood in 1923. Her career absolutely exploded then, as did her reputation. She described herself as kind of running wild during this period. She, you know, you're seeing her on screen. She has all this sex appeal. She's actually credited for inspiring the look and persona of the cartoon Betty Boop. But at that time, she was also known for booking convention. I already mentioned these playing these emancipated women And that was seen in the rest of her role, subverting gender conventions. She kind of used sexuality to craft public image at a time when that wasn't a thing to be done and you were often kind of looked down upon for doing so. Throughout her career, she made 46 sign-up films and went on to do 11 talking pictures as they became known. But as I said, her personal life was very dark. She had biographers, gossip columnists starting rumours about her kind of fed by this image she was portraying on screen you know of she's seen dancing on tables she's drinking lots it was very much put forward that she lived as if there was no tomorrow and what she was once celebrated for obviously the Hollywood elite then turned against her for being this kind of freak for living unapologetically and wanting to stay true to herself and then with that then you have her personal life becoming tabloid fodder So it was really in the late 20s, early 30s that things started to take a turn for Bo in the kind of public domain when it came to her personal life. She did an interview with Adela Rogers St. John's. That's such a 1920s name I'm obsessed. A very infamous reporter at the time ran an interview with Bo in Photoplay that she wrote as a first person account of Bo's life. But the most significant moment for Bo, I think, came in 1931. There was a trial involving her former secretary, Daisy DeVoe, again, another great name of that time. DeVoe was uh, indicted on 37 counts of grand theft for stealing money, jewellery and personal papers from Bo. But in an attempt to kind of get the focus off her crimes, she and her lawyer entered Bo's personal papers into evidence. So these included like cancelled checks for Bo's nights out, payments for whiskey, bear in mind this is prohibition times, this would have been illegal, love letters, telegrams, other correspondence. This huge, ginormous breach of privacy and whatever else. And obviously this blew up in the public life and put her under even more scrutiny. And Bo was already suffering at this point with the pressures of fame, everything else, barely made it through the trial with the blowback of this information, you had censorship boards then coming in, barring her films because of her notoriety she'd achieved with these, you know, these, this, the reporting around the trial. So then in May 1931, she checked into a sanitarium and then retired from acting, moved to Nevada with her husband, Rex Bell, who didn't like the idea of her, quote, showing herself off. So I think it's very interesting. It's It's interesting to see whether she's drawing the parallels to her relationship with the actor Joe Alwyn. They were obviously very private about their relationship when they were together in comparison to the likes of her relationship with Travis Kelsey now. Is it going to cover a wider narrative? You know, she is obviously one of the most under scrutiny celebs of all time. 
has always been, there's always been a narrative used against her and kind of weaponized around the fact that she's constantly talking about her personal life and mining it for her art. I would argue that so many others do that and they don't kind of face the same criticism. I don't know. That was one title that stood out to me. And again, it's sad because I think whatever point she's trying to make, I think it's, the naysayers aren't going to, take any notice of it or understand that they're kind of feeding this machine that, you know, is ultimately putting a lot of pressure on her. And it must, like, it must be difficult. I'm, I, I don't want to say that I feel sorry for her because at the end of the day, she's a billionaire, she's fine. She can cry in a Ferrari in that sense. But it's a such, it's in such a not enviable position to be in. I don't know how she gets up every day and does it. The answer is probably money, but anyway. I am intrigued by the album. I'm not sure how maybe we're reaching Peak Taylor. Will we ever reach Peak Taylor? I'm not sure. Again, very interested to hear thoughts on that. Let me know. Are we there yet? Will we ever be there yet? Who knows? Anyway, I'm very excited to talk about this week's flop with some returning guests. So without further ado, let's get into it. Created by Nanacha Khan, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 is an odd couple comedy featuring electrifying comedic performances from its stars, while skewering pop culture and New York life at large. These elements should have made a recipe for success. However, a bizarre broadcasting decision meant the show's fate was sealed before it could even really get off the ground. Joining me to discuss Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 is Ashley Hamilton and Claire Parker, stand-up comedians and the hosts of Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Enjoy. Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton, you are very welcome back to Flop Culture. How are you doing? Oh my God, we are in our flop era and excited to be here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We're actually, we're doing good. I think we're doing great. I was just trying to segue. Good. I don't I think say, we would be I here. I feel spiritually, I'm a flop era person. I'm somebody who will like... I have no interest in feeling like I'm soaring. I like feeling like I'm at a bowling alley with my friends <laughs> down to the last dime. Just saying, I whatever, we have nothing left to lose. To me, that is soaring. That's like exactly <laughs> where I love to be. That's where that's when I'm soaring. To me, I feel like I'm flopping when I am visibly soaring because that means there's a shoe to drop, you know? That's exactly what I say. One man's flap is another man's sore. So you're you're absolutely, you're both in the right place at the right time. And we're going to talk about flaps. I'm so excited. What did you choose for this week's episode? Don't trust the bee in apartment 23. <laughs> this is a show that we discuss often. It is a show that we love. It is a show that I, I personally believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but anyone who did see it loved it. It's just only like 11 or 12 of us who saw it. The joy that was radiating from Claire's face as she said, don't trust the bay in apartment 23 was like I could feel it through the screen. Like it was nothing I've ever seen before. I feel like there's three shows and you guys can add, but I think the one we came on last time to talk about, Good Christian Bitches, GCB, similar in that everyone who watched it loved it. I don't get why it got canceled. I think a, don't right, trust that the one I can tell you I can tell you exactly why both of them got canceled. It's because those puritanical hoes who, like, cannot let a brand sell Tide Pods on a station that mentions sex. I also do wonder if Don't Trust the Bee came at an era, you know, those few years where nobody was getting friends after the Super Bowl ratings anymore, but nobody knew that, like, 
we the heyday had come and gone. I think there's an era of television shows where they're like, you only got five million viewers. And people today are like, the number one hit show in the world got 300,000 views last night. Like, they just didn't know. <laughs> yeah, they're like, all 78 of us watched the Game of Thrones finale. That's a success. <laughs> and they just didn't yeah, know that, like, they had to update. They had to lower their standards. Yeah, it was a, this is a strange time for television, which we'll get into. But before we do, for anyone that's not familiar with Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, what is it about? It's about this bee who lives in Apartment 23. Her name is, um... Chloe. What's her name? Chloe. Chloe. (laughs) Her name is Chloe, and she gets a new roommate who moved to New York, hoping to, like, hit it big with a job on Wall Street. And then, like, her first day in the office, her company is going under... So she is trying to make it on Wall Street. She's working in a coffee shop. You've got her the cast of characters. You've got the pervert next door, the stalker down the hallway, and then Chloe's best friend, James Vanderbeek, as himself. It's I'd I'd never watched this, so this was a full binge for me. It was released over here. I think it was on RT2, and in the UK it was E4. Just never watched it for whatever reason. I loved this. It is, it's so genuinely funny. Not a lot of it is aged terribly. They all seem like they're having such a laugh. They're acting their goddamn hearts out. It's, I love it. It's so, it's so good. It's so charming. Did you watch at the time or did you come to this yeah. later? Okay. I, watched I think it I when watched it, it when it was on, but on streaming in Hulu. I think it came out when I was like in college. So I was watching it reruns, but like during the week after, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It used to come out on Hulu like one week later. So you like there used to be way more of a lag to watch it online. I think I would watch it on (laughs) ABC.com. Oh, my God. The the glory days. The gloriers. Um, Yeah, it's very similar to Happy Endings, which we've also covered on uh, Flop Culture before in the sense that like, again, well, obviously it's a sitcom, whatever, but you're talking kind of like an ensemble cast. They're all, it's clear that they're having a great time doing the show and that comes across to the viewers. It's, it's just brilliant. I love it. It's so, they're just the escapades. It's, what, a, what about it works for you so well? For me, you know, we're pop culture experts. We chat about it all the time. I think they were so ahead of their time with the James Van Der Beek playing himself role. I think right now we're seeing it, um, who... Who is that crazy man who bought 28 castles and now can't afford them? Nicolas Cage? Yes. No. I feel like the way that Nicolas Cage is reviving his whole career with those self-aware, like, make fun of yourself movies. The fact that James Vanderbeek was doing this 10 years ago, he does it so spot on. I mean, in the last one I was watching, he's, like, on Dancing with the Stars. I didn't know they were allowed to, like, acknowledge that Dancing with the Stars was a corny second chance turnaround TV show. Like, He's so funny. I think Kristen Ritter plays genuinely a bitch. Very rarely do they let the girls do something effed up. In almost every episode, the twist was not something I saw coming. The episode where she sets June up with the perfect boyfriend and the perfect boyfriend is her dad, who's still married to her mom. I'm like, this is insane. I did not see this coming. The way she's just constantly scamming is so genius. I think that the way it works for me is that, like, the entire show is a unexpected twist. The fact that we have this New York City ensemble cast of characters who is, like, the most insane group of people. You have the roommate who's, like, the hardened New York scam artist. You've got the roommate who's the hopeful New York, like, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. You've got, like, a 
like agoraphobe down the hall who's like obsessed with Chloe. You've got the pervert next door, a celebrity and a coworker from the coffee shop. Like, how is that the ensemble? It's, it's what so girls should, like got credit for. This is real New York City. This is like everybody knows that weird hot girl. And you're like, how do you afford your life? And the answer is bullshit and lies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask that as New York girlies. Like, is it reflective of the New York experience? Have you met a Chloe and a June or is one of you a Chloe or a June? Oh my God, I'm friends with a June right now who's going through it. Like I... I, I don't know. Chloe she came here to make it on Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know Chloe specifically, but I feel like I know Chloe types. It feels very reminiscent of a pre-influencer, pre-pandemic New York City when there was a better mix of people. I think right now we're in kind of a crisis of everybody being too in their own lane. I think like back in the day, you would just like get on Craigslist, find a roommate and hope for the best. Now I feel like there's this idea that everybody spends $5,000 to live in the West Village alone. And I'm like, no, back in the day, you had a roommate till you were 32 or married. It was like- I mean, I guess in some ways, okay, not to like toot my own horn, but I do think in some ways I was the Chloe to Julia's June. <laughs> like, I think that like, I was like always just like stomping in and out of the house at like 4 a.m. being like, I have comedy sets. And then, and like, she was just like meal prepping. Um, and like, I mean, Ashley had a roommate in an apartment where there was no door to this girl's room. It was just downstairs generally, but there was no door. I guess it was she was like, the most Chloe of them all because she, and she would just have like loud coked out sex every day. And everyone who stayed on Ashley's couch would be like, I heard your roommate having sex all night. And you're like, oh yeah, that's just part of the apartment. And that's like a New York city, baby. <laughs> You are so, like, you live next door to somebody who's having insanely loud sex and you're grateful to be here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how like... great is it that we can walk to this Cuban cafe from our apartment? <laughs> living the dream, living the dream. Kristen Ritter is the star of this. It kind of makes me annoyed that she isn't bigger. She's kind of, I forgot how many, she's been a rom-com kind of mainstay for years. I forgot she was in 27 Dresses. I need to rewatch that because I, I do remember enjoying it. What Happens in Vegas, a 2008 classic. Confessions of a Shopaholic. Oh, I was going to say, I watched 27 Dresses like kind of a lot. I think like <laughs> more often than anyone in the world, which is to say like once every two months. That's, I allow that. I, I need to rewatch it. It's been ages. Um, I, she's probably best known for, again, I forgot Veronica Mars. Uh, the role in Breaking Bad, uh, God, Gilmore Girls, sorry, and Love and Death most recently in 2023, but it's kind of bizarre to me, and sorry, Jessica Jones, I should say, Marvel Property, but it's kind of mad to me that she wasn't bigger or more breakout in a way. Even She just has, you can't take your eyes off her when she's on screen and she embodies Chloe so well. You're, she's kind of brash and like doing all these bad things. You should hate her but you still love her and she's like sex positive. And another thing I like about the show, it's very unabashed. Yeah, I'm kind of like, where's the Kristen Ritter assent? Can I say, I wonder if it's by design. I wonder if Mm. she didn't want to be like a A A-list celebrity because if you look at her IMDb, she's been working and starring in stuff for the last like 12 years. Like she's Mm. never kind of not been around and she's been in, pretty major projects. Like you said, she had a prominent role in Breaking Bad. She had, she's had some like pretty big things. And I wonder if she was like, oh, if, cause I always say the celebrities that we talk about a lot want us to talk about them a lot. And I wonder if the reason we don't talk about her a lot is because she never like put herself out there as a scene girl. 
Mm. Can I say I'm looking at her Instagram right now and it has like no personality. And I think if she wanted to be an it girl, she would just hire somebody to do like at home photos. And I th- I do agree. I think she's like chosen to not like work to. steadily and not. She has a kid. She's married to the guy from War on Drugs, the singer. Cool. Yeah. See, she's cool. She doesn't want to be like a celebrity. She doesn't want to. She wants to like live her life and be an actor. Yeah. And I think she has that insane body. She's got that model body. She's got such a unique look in the world of everybody hasn't having the same face. She has that coloring that's so stark that like whatever character she decides to be, it plays so well. She has such a severe, specific look. And she is funny and she's fun. And I don't know. I feel like she can play serious. I've never seen her in Breaking Bad, but I imagine she's good because everybody loves everything about that show. I just feel like she's got the range. She's got the bod. She's got the look. She's got the dream life. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I I would assume that the reason she's not like a mega star is because she chose not to be. Like she has Marvel under her belt. Like there's no reason for her to not be someone that the paparazzi follow around constantly, except for the fact that it seems she doesn't encourage it. Mm. She wrote a fiction book before as well that I read. Uh, I think it came out 2017. It's called Bonfire. I just uh, saw that on her Instagram bio. It's very like mayor of East Town, sharp objects, a woman's a detective and she goes, I actually can't remember a lot about the book, which I'm not sure is a great uh, endorsement of her, unfortunately. But yeah, it's like she goes back to her old town and like there's a mystery, but she's dark and troubled. I don't remember hating it. I remember being like, this is a serviceable book, but yeah, there you go. Maybe one for the list. See, I think she's somebody who's just artistically driven and wants to do what she does. Mm. I think so. I think you're right in saying that. There's a review at the time for Vulture from Matt Soller Sets, and he says, As Chloe, her grifter roommate, however, Kristen Ritter is the show's true revelation, channeling the best weirdness of Lisa Kudrow and the farcical but believable sexuality of Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She steals the show when the show isn't already being stolen by James Vanderbeek, playing himself in an unexpectedly touching comic tour de force that revises and deepens the kind of goofball played by Neil Patrick Harris in the Harold and Kumar movies. James Vanderbeek in this is, it's just, it's perfection. Can I say? He's so I think, good. I think that the thing that is so great about this show is that everything about it was a massive risk. Like, if you think about the pieces, if they had not fallen in place well, it would have been disastrous. The fact that James Vanderbeek plays a character who uses, like, he is James Vanderbeek using his history as Dawson to get laid and, like, I, I feel like there's a lot about it that if it had fallen flat would have been really not good, especially mm. for James, honestly. Like, well, you he know what's the so most funny? So, like, there's a literal scene in one of the first few episodes where James is on the phone with Kristen Ritter and she's like, she hears the Dawson Creek theme song in the background. She goes, oh, do you have a fan over? And the fan comes down in his old shirt. And then he, at the end of this scene, the fan comes down in the Varsity Blues whipped cream bikini. And it's so funny and over the top and, like, he is such the butt of the joke there. And then just right now, by coincidence, to be able to compare it to Tom Sandoval evoking that scene on the Nick Vile podcast and the way he's like, I couldn't help it. She showed up. It was like, it was like the whipped cream bikini fantasy. And just to juxtapose the way that both of those people refer to that scene and how successful Don't Trust the Bee is versus Tom Sandoval, it really shows you that it, it's no... It's not to be taken lightly, like making that joke. 
Yeah. And I think that one of the things that's so effective about it in Don't Trust the Bee is that James, like you said, James is the butt of the joke because it is so pathetic the way he like needs the validation. Like he is not using his Dawsonness to like be mean to girls. He needs the girls who like loved Dawson to validate himself. Like he's so insecure and sucks that like he, it's so interesting the way they wrote that it really is like that should have been an oscar i know they don't give oscars to tv (laughs) shows but i'm like the nuance genius (laughs) i was trying to think if they rebooted the show like who would be the modern day equivalent of james vanderbeek in that actor role you know what i mean to like play themselves having come from a teen heartthrob series would you have any ideas as i'm thinking now i'm like chase crawford in gossip girl no not really i think joey from friends. I know he already made fun of himself in that one whole show, I think. What is it called? Sitcom actor or something? It's extras. literally. Oh, extras. I thought you were literally meant Joey. I was like, oh, okay. It's called Joey. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess the problem is, can I say, I think Lisa Kudrow did it brilliantly in uh, the comeback. Yeah. But I do think that, like, again, like Joey, Lisa Kudrow, James Vanderbeek, like, I think it could again be like James Vanderbeek because I think that our generation of teen stars have like revealed themselves too much on social media or oh, Chad their... Michael Murray. Yeah. Ooh, but that's yeah, the thing is like, right. we know too much because they all like tabloid culture and social media was like too big when these shows were on the air. Like, I feel like I know too much about Chad Michael Murray for it to be like interesting to watch him in that way, but maybe I'm wrong. I guess he could come make fun of himself, but I think he was like really mean to some girls and also it's like really christian now boring yeah but he'd be acting they're act that's the joke is that they're, they're i know <laughs> but that's he'd what i'm saying is i think but what i'm saying is i think if there's like too much other other stuff for like the for it i to, don't think so because the nick not. page stuff really worked i think i think when celebrities come out and make fun of themselves it's very effective these days actually still okay. now more than ever i think like it takes very... I'm trying to think, but I feel like there's a ton of examples out there right now of people reclaiming the narrative by making fun of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, but I think even they're a bit further... They're not kind of... How do I say this? Like, Nick, Nick Cage obviously already had an established career. You know what I mean? Even if you think of the ones that are coming up now, like the Riverdale people, or again, that's probably a shit example, but... Again, I think it's a thing of we know too much about them and there's probably an oversaturation thing where there's too many of them to be like... There's not one I- identifiable per- Noah Centennial. I don't know. I feel like I'm saying names out loud and they're just actually getting worse. I guess Noah I Centennial like- thought he had like a, a place to breathe and take some time and date Alexis Wren. And oh boy, was he wrong. Can I say, okay, I do think that it would be really hard to redo that same kind of thing now because like we said, Don't Trust the Bee and like these other shows came up in a time when the audience fractured and was like a lot smaller for the major things. Like even Riverdale... Like, not everybody watched Riverdale. And Mm. so I feel like, I don't know, the way Dawson was so, like, Dawson, I don't know that there is another, like, I don't know that that happened again in the next generation. One Direction. Yeah. I guess it could be, Mm. like, a One Direction character. I think you're right. It could have been, like, Niall being, like, the other member of One Direction as a character, as, like, the guy who is the another guy who used to be in One Direction. That would, that's the only one. (laughs) 
Anaya would be so good at that. He'd be funny. But, and before their comeback, a Jonas brother. It could have been Nick Jonas. Or, I mean, not Nick mm-hmm. Jonas. It could have been Joe Jonas. Yes. How much do you think the fact that it's like, because essentially it's like the odd couple, right? With Chloe and June, the fact, you know, she's come from the Midwest and she wants to make the Big Apple her own and Chloe's insane and robbing people and morally corrupt and all that jazz. Like it's very, it's very odd couple vibes. But how much do you think the fact that it was female-centred had to do with kind of people not buying into it or getting on board with the story? Because I was trying to think where this came in relation to Two Broke Girls because I was like, oh, if this came out before Two Broke Girls, maybe people just weren't like ready for an oddball comedy with two gals. But it actually came after. So then I was just like, okay, well then were people just like, no, we already have Two Broke Girls, so we don't need another one because Something it's too many women. Something I was thinking about as a good comp that did take off would be New Girl. Yes, yeah. I feel like... And the way that, like, New Girl got better and better, I think if they had been allowed to have, like, three or four seasons, it would have hit, like, a a friend's frenzy. Like, I think it would have really found its groove. Um, I don't know why people weren't ready for it. I, like, I wonder if it was combo too campy. Like, it does feel like it lacks a specific genre and that it's not all the way 30 Rock parody, but it's not... As like I feel like New Girl has a much more serious single cam feel to it, but it's also not like the three camera of King of Queens. Do you know what I mean? It it really does feel like kind of a genre mismatch. It's kind of rooted in some reality, but like not a lot of reality in some ways. I think that people make fun of the whole will they or won't they trope, but I think that it really keeps people in for the next episode. I don't know that the driving through lines throughout it were strong enough. Like, I don't think like hoping June makes it on wall street was enough to keep you there. Like I, there was no, will they, or won't they couple, there was no like long-term storyline to root for and stay tuned for. That's that I true. Could- there was like, what was the goal ultimately? And I, I see that. I also, do her and Eric Andre end up having a romance? Because I remember feeling like I wanted to root for them. But I I watched the first season and that never really gets explicitly called out. The idea that he has this anorexic girlfriend that he's afraid of is so funny, though. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So this is the thing, right? When it initially came out, so it was, so it went through all these kind of development changes. It was called You Can't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23 first. And then, you know, the way TV works, it's like tumbling down the road until it's eventually, I think it was greened and picked up as a mid-season replacement then for the 2011-2012 season. And at that point, it was called Apartment 23. Um, I think some publication watched the pilot and they were like, oh, this is very exciting. So they ended up changing it to Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Um, But the way it went out, the order is wrong and the order that it's in on Disney Plus is actually over here anyway. I'm not sure about the States, but it's still in the wrong order. So it was renewed for a second season in 2012. 
uh, in the start of May and then towards the end of May, the first season ended, but there were only seven episodes aired and there were like 13 more to go. So they were essentially like mashed together. So the continuity was fucked. So like, you don't, I'm going to be honest, you don't really notice it until like season two, episode 14. And they have this, like, you mentioned the Dance with the Stars storyline. That's kind of, that's in season one. It's kind of dropped and then picked back up again in the middle of season two. And you're like, what the fuck? And it's the same with uh, Eric Andre's character, Mark, and June. There's this whole will they, won't they. But it goes from like one episode to they're sleeping together, but they can't make it work because they're two close friends. And then the next episode, like Mark's back with his girlfriend. It's fucking. And that's why people stop watching because the ratings just go like, this for season two because people are probably watching being like why are we why the fuck are we back at Dancing with the Stars I thought we finished this it's crazy and I can't believe it's still in the wrong order on Disney Plus it's crazy I'm losing my mind over like networks acting like they don't have money to pay people and then making some of the most idiotic business decisions of all time the way that these people are like the best way to make you know what makes good money having tv shows and movies that people want to watch you know how you get someone to want to watch something you make it reasonably followable and good. I'm not even saying it has to be great. Just make it at least consistent in a storyline perspective. The idea that they thought the best way to make a show a hit would be to mix it up so there's no continuity is like the most fucked thing I've ever heard. It's how I used to think as a comedian when I was like, six months in and you'd get panicked that people weren't laughing enough so you like skip to the end but now you're on stage for five more minutes you got nothing to say in the middle it doesn't make any sense and these are like adult executives making some of the most idiotic childish insecure choices i've ever seen that tanks it for everyone i'm so mad at the industry (laughs) it's honestly to see the viewership go down it's crazy because it's like as you said again we're talking Like network TV, season one, they were getting like kind of three, four million tuning in. And then there's one episode in the second season and it's like 1.8 million. And then there's like no stats available for the last three or four. And it's like, that's the moment when, like if you're watching, if you're watching week to week, I can imagine someone being like, what the actual fuck is going on? I can't even follow this. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like something that they almost meant to be streamed later when you have a cold. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I was going to say that I I started watching season two. I watched the first like seven episodes maybe of season two. And it does immediately get off to a start where you're like, I'm not entirely sure what's happening. Like, mm. I feel like the storylines in general, like season one, I guess they did cut it in half, but like it still feels like there is, it like has a real like mission to it where there's no like story through line overall, but like, there's a beginning and an end. Yeah. And then the way that season two is just all over the place. And it also feels like the way they like make up certain things for a bit because the rest of the story is like so wonky. It all mm. kind of fell like the jokes are still there, but a lot of stuff falls flat to me. Like sometimes yeah. they just go too childish with June. Sometimes they go like a little bit even too mean with Chloe where I'm just like, did you guys forget what show this is? Like, I think they, like, forget their characters sometimes. And they're like, oh, yeah, the, like, naive one and the bitch. <laughs> yeah, I will say as well, it is such a product of 2012 in that the fat phobia, not as bad in season one. And then it kind of ramps up in places in season two where you're like, oh, it's not great. Um, do you have a fave kind of moment or episode from the show overall? There is this moment of James Vanderbeek's where he is like illuminating something for June. Chloe have had a falling out because 
June gets like a comic book written about her and Chloe is very jealous. And so James Vanderbeek is like, well, she just like, she's not mad at you. She's upset that she knows her inherent, um, it girl status is only momentary. And then he goes into explaining how he knows this because of his own experience. And June like runs out the door to go save Chloe. And he finishes his monologue alone in the apartment. He goes, Hey, now that I think about it, that's a lot like what's going on with you and June and Chloe. And he's just like completely, he plays dumb <laughs> in such a way that of course it's coming, but I did not see it coming. And it's such a beautiful, like he plays it perfect. Like the lovable self-absorbed, like himbo. He just nails it. He's pitch perfect. One of my favorite James Vanderbeek Kimbo moments is when during the People's Sexiest Man Alive episode, when like they're trying to convince June that she's a sheep and she like only finds people sexy if people call them sexy. And so James is fucking with her because he knows that now she thinks he's sexy. Um, and he like wakes her up in the morning and takes his shirt off and then like spills a smoothie down his own chest <laughs> and then like does push-ups before like. I do. I feel like, listen, I guess spilling a smoothie and then taking your shirt off, but then spilling the smoothie again on his naked body is actually just disgusting. <laughs> the reunion episode where they're on a boat, uh, it's the start of season two, but it's like basically every year Chloe pretends like the Dawson's Creek cast reaches out to him to do a Dawson's Creek reunion to like give him the power to say no and like get him to feel like he's in control. And there's a whole scenario where he's sitting with like Busy Phillips and they have the, and Busy's like, I just sell my horse. I just sell my horse, cha-cha. It's, I'm not doing it justice, but it's very funny. You know who else is great in it? The pervert across the hall. So one of the side characters is that they have like an alley facing window that faces across the building to like just a good old fashioned pervert who's also a health a health inspector, inspector for restaurants <laughs> and he takes his job very seriously but at home he's like allowed he's just a little kink at home and there's this um scene at the end where he's confiscated all this jam that they made as like a kink jam and he's taking a bath in it <laughs> and he's yes. like talking oh to my his God, grandma yes. on the phone <laughs> And I know he's just improving those lines. And it's so, like, it's just, I'm like, oh, this is somebody who was, like, meant to be a star. He was supposed to be in this show, and the show was supposed to take off. He was supposed to be Gunther. He was supposed to, like, then go on to have this incredible side character, character actor career. He's just a little bit about talking to his grandma and then, like, asking her how Castle is. The show, it's just so, <laughs> it's so spot on and well done. And it's such a moment of, like, the show deserved better. They should have given it its fair shot. Another, I think also one thing we just haven't talked about yet is the fact that the pilot is so good. And like, sometimes mm. I see a show where I'm like, that is a pilot that you're like, oh, of course they picked it up. It's a perfect pilot. And I like, can't believe they picked it up because it is like very sexual and very insane. But so in the pilot episode, June moves to New York, her company shuts down. She has nowhere to live. Her boyfriend who is like finishing up research is supposed to be coming for the weekend to visit her before he eventually moves to New York to be with her and they're going to get married, whatever. And Chloe, like, finds out that her boyfriend is cheating on her. So in order to, like, and June doesn't believe her because at this point, Chloe has just been the worst roommate for the first day they've lived together. And so she, like, has sex with June's boyfriend on her birthday cake. And I do feel like the way they keep saying like, I had sex with your boyfriend on your birthday cake. You had sex with my boyfriend on my birthday. Like, that's such a funny thing to do. I can't believe that, like, having sex on... Who made up having sex on a birthday cake? It's on that's the birthday so cake. It's the real betrayal. It's, it's so yeah, it's crazy. When uh, 
when June meets Chloe for the first time in the interview for the apartment, there's a reference to what her perfect day is because I think Chloe offers June a stick of chicken satay or something. So I wanted to ask you guys, what are your top three things for your perfect day? In New York City? In general, you could be anywhere in the world. We won't, you could be right here in Dublin, back here again. I had a great day yesterday. I loved it. I mean, I love to get a coffee and just sit outside in the park. Yesterday, I took a trip to Manhattan. I'm a Brooklyn girl, but I took a I took a field trip to Manhattan and I sat in Washington Square Park in the fountain and like watched kids skateboard. And I was like, this is great. I love people playing music on the street for free. I love to just be sitting at a park. Um, I love a, a dinner with a friend. And then I'm trying to think a third thing. What would a third thing even be? I guess oh my like God, a you're so easily show. pleased. You only need two. And then performing. Yeah, I am easily pleased. And that's why I'm like, if I'm not happy, it's nobody's goddamn fault by my own. I'm like, go get a coffee, Claire. <laughs> Take a trip around the block. Get yourself together. Like, if I, you're not well, happy, I guess I, mean, I do feel like the problem is like my perfect day is fairly weather contingent because I do love to just take like a long walk with my friends. And if it's like cloudy and gloomy and it worst case scenario, like a cold rain, like a snow, I can handle a, I bet like a cold rain or like harsh wind. It does ruin a nice walk with your friends. Like you can't do that if it's the weather is wrong. And so I do think that like, that is one of the main things that makes me really happy, but you can't always have it when you live in New York. True. Goddamn weather. Obviously the show only lasted two seasons, but I'm wondering, have you put any thought into where the characters would have been if it had been allowed to go on for like even another season or so? Like season two just kind of ends with, again, it's another kind of madcap scheme. Chloe's trying to find out who the original bitch in Apartment 23 was because she went on to become like, to live her dream of being a vi- a, a foothold. So it's someone who like stands at the feet of the, the, the club MC. It's, and it's, yeah, it's, it's very good, but it's not really critical to the story. Have you thought any, is there, where would you have liked to see the story gone? I think I there has really to be like a larger, I think Ashley made such a good point about how there's not like some larger goal going on. I feel like they have to go into business together or something. Like there has to be something more than just that they're friends. Or I feel like I would love to have had a boyfriend move in, watch that dynamic change. Do you know what I mean? I would love or, like, to watch Chloe have to like go legit and get a real job and then like still somehow work her way up to like CEO within a month or something like that. Just because it turns out she is like very smart and talented. And then for her to like, just like sell her shares and quit and like tank the economy or something like that. But, I would love for them to have gone to jail together. <laughs> yeah. I think there are a lot of, I think that that's the thing is there was no, like, I don't know that I knew what, their goals were necessarily. I do think June needed to find like a proper boyfriend um, just because that was such a big thing for her. And then like have Chloe get like really jealous or something like that. That could have been fun. Yeah, it felt very episodic. And I I guess it's not their fault that they weren't allowed to have continuity. (laughs) storyline. It definitely was this sense that like I fell asleep for an episode. I came back. I don't know that I missed a goddamn thing. No, absolutely not. Probably helped the continuity in some ways. <laughs> yeah, I like I skipped like, a bad one. <laughs> one of the things that I noticed about this show that I was telling Claire that I was very shocked by is the way it was like very raunchy and mm. on regular network television. 
which is not that big of a deal. I feel like that's the way things were going. Like when you think about friends, when you think about all these shows, like things were getting saucier and saucier. But now we're in this weird TikTok era where everyone uses like secret words to say anything. And I feel like it, I saw someone like make a video recently about how it's like re-puritanicaling our brains a little bit. And I didn't realize how much that was happening until I watched this show. And I couldn't believe they like kept on saying certain words on network television because of the way people like code word those words on TikTok. And it's like really, I feel like we've really taken steps backwards in like sex positivity. And I know that there was like a whole era of people being like Gen Z isn't having sex. And I was like, okay, that's not true. And I'm like, wait, I think that we've like forgotten that openly talking about sex was like a good thing. Yeah. In a lot of, in more than one review I read, it was compared to It's Always Sunny, like that kind of brand of, and like the word sleazy is kind of used a lot. That that review that I mentioned earlier from Vulture, the headline was, don't trust to be in apartment 23 is an intriguing balance of sweetness and sleaze. Exactly. That's why I think it struggled because it wasn't, like your Midwestern parents might not want to watch it with you, but it's not so edgy that it's going to have like a cult following of like diehards on Twitter. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think it almost didn't fit anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like I like think about new girl and there's a bit more realism there. And I think about two broke girls and I haven't really watched a ton of two broke girls, but I feel like I'm familiar with like the genre of, of the three. It feels like the three camera fits right in with, Everybody loves Raymond. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I know the campiness of it in terms of yeah. filmmaking. It feels very like network sitcom. And I think that Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 was like just in the middle of everything. It was in a weird time slot as well. So it was on after Modern Family. So I'm wondering even if the people who were watching Modern Family like did stay around to watch, were they then also like... Jesus, you know, the juxtaposition of exactly, yeah, like that, because Modern Family is so wholesome. And then you go to something that's like, not even that. I feel like we're making it sound like it's a fucking freak fest and it's not, but it is just like a little bit darker, a little bit edgier. I can see the people being like the pearl clutchers thrusting the remote away. Yeah, younger, 100%. I just feel like it would have been great on Netflix paired. It goes right between 30 Rock and Emily in Paris. Hmm. Yeah, I feel I feel it's not as universal as 30 Rock because I feel like 30 Rock has somebody that hits like most genres of demo. But I think Emily in Paris is so specifically for like brain dead 28 year olds. This is for the middle. It's for 28 year olds who get satire. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. If people want to watch in the original order, I'll put it in the show notes because someone thankfully did that on IMDb um I watched in the wrong order and I but I might go back and actually watch it in the right order now and see but yeah girls been a pleasure love don't trust the bee ultimately why do you think it flopped I have to blame the streaming of it all I think the early 2010s was just a nonsense period where things got got lost I I also don't I don't have a tv degree but I really do feel that like Things for women got lost. I think it really meant to be in the streaming era where it could be an absolute cult fave of a very specific demo of people. And unfortunately, we were still in the world of Super Bowl numbers. Yeah, I agree. I think that it wasn't really given a proper chance. Like the way that they really fucked up season two is kind of unforgivable. If I could have a word with some executives, um, I think I'd like to hold a grudge about it. And I think, I don't think it was given a proper chance in very many ways. And then I think, of course, it was like ripped 
from the air probably because of the numbers that weren't going to ever again be what they expected from a sitcom. Oh guys, go watch. It's great. You love, you love a riot. It's so good. Guys, where can people find out more about you? They know Celebrity Remember Book Club, but if they don't, get a fucking grip is all I'll say. Where can they find out more, listen to more, plug the Patreon? I'm a big fan. Um, or Celebrity can- Memoir Book Club, anywhere you listen to podcasts, even on YouTube. And even if you don't want to listen to us review Celebrity Memoirs every week, where, by the way, you don't have to read the book in advance. We read the book so you don't have to. We summarize it. We'll give you the lowdown. But um, yeah, if you want to hear us just gab about shit where we forget people can hear us, patreon.com slash Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Any plans? Any plans to return to Ireland anytime soon? Not soon, are- but definitely in the next year where you've already like, pushed our agent on it they're like it's not really uh suggested that you go back within a year but we love ireland we love ireland so much but we're like please we just want to go hang out i need you to come back so that i can actually bring you to leo burdocks because the last time you were here just dear listeners i i I, you were like we want chipper and i was like brilliant i'll bring you to leo burdocks and every time i fucking brought you it was closed was it was our fault because we pushed for that Ireland date with such a small turnaround that they're like the only thing available is Easter is that gonna be a problem and we're like no who cares about Easter and then we flew into a Catholic country and we really didn't mm. take any consideration into how how you guys might actually celebrate Easter <laughs> <laughs> who cares who cares about us who cares about us celebrating Easter it doesn't matter anyway I look forward to seeing you back here it's gonna be a great celebrity member book club Ashley Hamilton Claire Parker thank you so much for joining me once again on Flop Culture Thank you for having us. You can watch all episodes of Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 on Disney+. Plus. The order is still wrong there, so I will leave the correct order in the show notes if you do fancy a binge for yourself. And you can check out Slimmer Memoir Book Club wherever you get podcasts, and I will leave the link to their Patreon in the links. And also, just to say, some people might have missed, Claire actually did a Patreon episode a while ago on Crossroads, the Britney Spears film. So if you want to listen to that, you can. It's patreon.com forward slash flap culture. We were talking about a Kristen Ritterrissance. Potentially might be coming. I mentioned the creator, Nanachika Khan, in the intro there. There's an untitled Kristen Ritter project on Khan's Wikipedia page at the minute. There's no date for that. We have no other details. Very excited for it. And I know she's working on something with Stephanie Shu. I think it's called Laid. Very excited for that. Khan has had a lot of success even beyond this. So prior to this, she was a writer on Family Guy for many, many years, but has gone on to work on things like Fresh Off the Boat and most recently directed two streaming films that I haven't seen, but I'm pretty sure got decent reviews. Always Be My Maybe with Ali Wong and uh, Randall Park. And what is the other one? It was a Halloween one with Kieran Shipka. Totally Killer which came out last year. And I think, again, got, like, decent reviews. If you've watched that, let me know, because I, um, I'm i intrigued to... I want to watch more of Can's work, so if you liked it, let me know. One other thing I also forgot to mention is uh, Art Imitating Life. James Vanderbeek actually did go on to compete himself, legitimately, on Dancing with the Stars. I think it was 2019, and he made it very far. He made it to the semi-final. So there you go. The dancing did pay off in the end. Finally, top of the flaps. Let's get into it. You're a flop. Israel has selected its competitor for Eurovision, Eden Golan. Uh, and I mean, I think we know what I'm about to say here, right? Why are they even, why is this still even a thing where they are being allowed to compete? Especially when you have 
20 politicians wrote to the EBU this week, the European Broadcasting Union, saying Israel's participation in the contest whitewashes a regime that is carrying out ethnic cleansing in Palestine and committing war crimes and genocide. We've seen musicians in Sweden, artists in Finland, protesters in Norway, uh, here in Ireland, sending letters to the EBU urging public broadcasters to exclude Israel from the contest. When you look back and consider uh, Russia's participation being vetoed in 2022 after invading Ukraine... I don't see, I just don't see why we're still at a place where we're still having these conversations. The competition is taking place in May. These arguments that, you know, your vision isn't political, we don't want to keep it political. It's inherently political. And I think it's cowardly to not acknowledge just the level of what's going on. Like, this is a competition that Palestine isn't even taking part in. I just don't, I really... It's, ba- it's really baffling to me. It's so, so baffling to me. The comments, even on the announcement page, the, your one Eden Golan as it go on private now. The writing's on the wall with this. The writing is on the wall. And again, I know there's arguments that it's like, it's just a silly little singing competition. Is it though? Is it? I mean, yeah, of course it is in some ways. But I think allowing them in this arena is it like it, it really is just like so we're going to ignore the indiscriminate bombing that's been going on for weeks we're going into months at this point I just don't get it especially when you consider again I, I mentioned all the other kind of contradictions that have gone over the year you had Iceland being fined in 2019 for displaying a Palestinian flag you know I just I don't know and props to Iceland I will say because they're reconsidering participating if Israel is allowed to compete this year. I don't know. I'd love to see them be pulled out and it not go ahead. I don't think it's going to go that way. The EBU seems to be really digging its heels in as to be like, they're not being pulled, whatever. But it's just, it's this, it's hard to get excited about the competition at all. It's hard to be enthusiastic knowing, oh, I don't know. The whole thing is just gross. It's so gross. And I just don't know what it's going to take for world leaders to wake up and do anything about it like it's just it's beyond to me even when you look back to the, and again we talked about this on the Grammys Patreon episode not to keep harking on about that but Annie Lennox being the only one kind of brave enough to directly call for a ceasefire it's I don't know it's such a the world is in a sad sad sorry state that we're continuing to allow this happen after hundreds and hundreds of days and thousands tens of thousands of people dead I can't it's it's disgusting is the only word I hate to end on a sour note you know I do I hate to end on a sour note but it had to be said very frustrating very frustrating okay we're going to leave it there for this week I really appreciate you listening I've mentioned the social media where afloculture underscore pod I would love your ratings five stars please wherever you're listening if you leave a five star review on apple podcasts and your nickname, or whatever, just any kind of name in the review, I would recommend a bop or a flop to you in next week's episode. So don't forget to do that. I've mentioned more on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash flop culture. You get at least two bonus episodes a month, and you can also get these episodes ad-free and earlier than regular listeners. That's fun, isn't it? Let's say hi to some new patrons. We've got a few new ones this month. Let's have a looky look. Hello to Alana. Hello to Alana H. Hope you're well. Hope to, hello even to Isabel. Isabel K. Thanks for being a patron. And hello to Grace O. Thank you, Grace, for being a patron. Much appreciated. 
This is Winflock Culture, edited as always by the lovely Adam Shanahan. We will see you all next week. And I'm so excited about it. Bye-bye.